I could fall into um, a TV series of Foxtel very easily or, or these days Netflix and or I could work for 20 hours and not have a snack. So it was really difficult to sort of get a structured environment. And when you're starting a business, it's very easy. And I think this comes down from the burnout aspect. And I'm, I'm not saying that 97% of women quit. I think 97% of women just go, I don't want to do this anymore. And there's the burnout and there's the struggle. So I had to really learn how to structure my day. And that became vital to business survival, but also human survival, because we do this for ourselves to have a life as well, to not work nine to five for somebody else. Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders and next level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your hosts, Craig Johns and Ben Gathercole. On this episode of the Active CEO Podcast, we speak with an inspirational entrepreneur, coach, mentor, podcast host, comedian, keynote speaker, and is the Amazon best-selling author of Position Me. Educated at La Trobe University, Charles Stewart University, and the Australian Institute of Public Safety, she was fluent in Australian Sign Language, English, and Bahasa Indonesia. After a decade in security and intelligence as a profiler in the Victorian police force, she founded Epic Social, Tang's Design, and one half of the Business Experiment podcast. Known as a global authority on positioning, she has been named in the top 10 female entrepreneurs in Australia, was a 2015 Canberra Artist of the Year, is a board member for The Hope Project, an impact partner for Thank You, and has reached over 6 million people through social media and podcasting. I have the pleasure of bringing you an incredible woman who is considered authentic, hardworking, enthusiastic, fun, and has a habit of throwing political correctness right out the window, Jemima Ashley. Jemima, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So you grew up in Victoria, Australia. Your curiosity or curious nature led you to becoming a profiler in the Victorian Police Force and then Australian Federal Police. What were you like as a child and how did you find your instinct for profiling? Yeah, so I did grow up in East Gippsland. I grew up in a town with only 100 people. So um, fairly small, very, very small town, which in which for someone who, who could definitely see that they didn't want to stay there was a little bit frustrating for the first uh, decade or so of my life. So um, my dad is actually a police officer. So I grew up around law enforcement. My mum worked in the courts. It was, it's in my blood, quite frankly. Um, law enforcement is definitely in my blood. And I knew that I was interested in doing that. But even when I was at high school, um, all I did was pick subjects that were bigger and external to what I wanted to do um, and where I definitely was. So I really wanted, I did things like Russian history and Indonesian and um, legal studies. I, I very much knew that I wanted to do things outside of not just probably even the state, but even outside of Australia. And I ended up being offered um, two university degrees. So one was through the AIPS and that was doing security and specialising in sort of national security matters. 
noting the Twin Towers had fallen a couple of years earlier. And I also got offered teaching and all of, and it was secondary teaching at Australian Catholic University. So I sat in a room with two guidance counsellors and both of them are saying, look, do teaching because if you do the security degree, you're going to end up being a security guard at the local pub. And I thought, okay, I'm doing security. <laughs> like this is <laughs> this is definitely what I'm going to go and do, because I and I could recognise even at you know 18 or 17 and 18 and recognise that the people in front of me had grown up here and stayed here. And I love being back in Gippsland. I'm here at the moment. I'm staying here for a couple of months. I love it here. It's beautiful, but also it is very isolated. It is very small town, small mind comes comes to mind when you think about this kind of area. Entrepreneurship is confusing here. What are you doing now? I'm a business owner and that's enough. And people are like, oh, you wrote a book? That's amazing. No one has ever done that. All my friends have, <laughs> all of them. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's a beautiful part of the world, but it's definitely um, not uh, conducive to having extraordinary careers or having bigger dreams outside of a small town. I love that approach from when you're really young around being more of a generalist and kind of broadening horizons rather than specializing. And there's, there's such a big debate at the moment around if you want to be good at something, should you be a generalist or should you be a specialist? So do you think that being a bit more of a generalist and sort of opening up your horizons, so to speak, has really helped you in your career? I think it uh, definitely. I have always had a lot of interests. I found it. I've always found it difficult to hone in on one skill, and I think that's just the shiny rabbit syndrome in me. I love shining the, you know, chasing the little rabbit down the bunny hole and figuring out what it happened. What? It, but I always think that it's the universe trying to bring me to whatever it's trying to teach me and whatever I need to know. Um, I think there's arguments to be made for both, particularly in business and entrepreneurship. I think you can't be laser focused in one area. That's a really good way of, I think that's a skill that you should have if you are working for someone else. I think if you wanting to be self-employed or run businesses, you have to really have a generalist attitude to a lot of things. But I think more importantly, it's more fun to have a generalist attitude for life. I find, you know, Egyptian history really, really interesting and I would love to go and explore some uh, some pyramids and find some cool stuff. But, I mean, it's probably unlikely that I'm going to make a career out of that. But I'm, I can be interested and investigate that and read books on it and go and do tours and things like that. Um, I think it's a really, really nice way to, to approach life. I think curiosity is also an undervalued skill, particularly in business and, um, and growing your own business. I'm very curious. What does it take to be a great profiler? Um, curiosity is a big one. So I think it's, for me, I think it's, you have to have a, an interesting, uh, an interest in people's behavior and why we do what we do. You have to have really good instincts in reading people. Uh, there are actual courses that you can go and do to read micro expressions and also to read body language. I'd recommend if you are interested in that sort of area to definitely go and do some courses in that. It will save you a lot of time and a lot of money. And I think that the other thing that you need to do is have a really good understanding of what makes people tick. So what is the, what is someone's motivation and being able to figure that out very quickly. Sounds like the skill sets that CEOs need to be successful. It is 100% the same skill set. It's, um, it's weirdly paralleled, actually, when you look at it. And so I think that that's also, I think, 
I think law enforcement really did set me on an entrepreneur path without me realizing it to start with. So after a decade in law enforcement, what was the key driver or why behind your change to an entrepreneurial pathway? Yeah, so after 10 years, this is going to be wild, but 10 years of working in law enforcement in extremely stressful situations and dealing with crisis after crisis, I was a bit tired actually. And I got to 30 and I was like, I think I need a break. And I looked into, you know, it's now been more recognised, I think, within the, the pr- professional development and the law enforcement side of the world that, you know, career breaks are a real thing. And particularly the younger generation that are coming through, this is a discussion around mental health and making sure that people are all right and that they're able to continue. I got to a point at 30, I was exhausted, like physically, emotionally, mentally exhausted. And I I said to my partner, I was like, I think I'm just going to take a bit of a career break here. So I'd had a bit of a chance encounter while I was working um, in New York with someone who made jewellery. And I thought, you know, this is a really beautiful kind of pastime. It is a hobby. Again, my natural curiosity kicked in and I thought I'd like to learn how to do metal work. I'd done metal work and woodwork at school and I really enjoyed it. I was I had to stop doing that in year 10 because, quote, I would be the only girl doing the classes in year 11 and year 12, which is a nice way of saying girls shouldn't be doing this, I guess. And uh, I ended up starting a small business that way and went, I want to I wanna just try this for a little while and see how it goes. So I took six, six months leave without pay. Um, the AFP were great. They really just were, yep, sure, career breaks were being become more and more normal and gave the business a go. And um, it sort of all sort of started from there, which was a really incredible opportunity. I'll be ever grateful to the AFP for giving me that time. So going from working for someone to uh, leading people or leading what you were doing? How, yeah. how did that mindset change work for you? It was a gradual, it was a gradual change. I, I'm really grateful. I didn't come straight out of the gates and go, I'm going to do a podcast. I'm going to start business coaching. I'm going to start consulting. I'm very grateful. I didn't have those kind of goals and then I followed the path. And I think that that is one thing that as entrepreneurs, but also as humans, we sometimes don't have a, uh, we we want to skip to the end very quickly. I followed the journey that I was on and respected that I was on that. So I ended up um, really just sort of starting a small business and I didn't know a lot about small business. I knew, you know, I roughly knew the steps. I, you know, had an intuitive understanding that I can't have, I need to have social media. I don't know how to post social media. So I did some investigations and research and really let my curiosity just flow at that time and ended up after three months of reading every book, every podcast, watching every Gary Vaynerchuk video, watching every Tony Robbins video, getting an understanding of what I needed to do in what order. But by about three months, I could also tell the people who knew what they were talking about and the people who were trying to sell you snake oil Mm -hmm. very quickly, again, using skills that I got from from law enforcement and also just natural skills that I had inside me anyway. And I, that's where the podcast started and that's where the real thought leadership started and the real, you know, massive development in my personal development, but also more importantly, the, um, the career that I was going to end up ultimately doing with consulting and business coaching. Being an entrepreneur isn't for everyone. You know, what have been your successful ingredients in establishing thriving businesses? I think the uh, the main ingredient that you need to have is perseverance, and I think you have to have a why bigger than yourself. So 
it isn't an easy path. It is not for everyone, definitely. But I think the difference between people that make it and look, the global stats aren't terrific. We're looking at about 97% of female-led startups in the first five years are failing. And um, that's twice the rate of our male counterparts. So we aren't doing terrific in business. But I think a big part of that comes down to lack of prioritization and not having an understanding of what you need to do and trying a very ad hoc approach. So perseverance is a big thing, but also having a structured approach to business and knowing that you have to do, you can't have, you know, you have to build your website before you can have, you know, you need to have your domain name, you need to have your branding before you can look at getting a website. So I think the big part is making sure that you put it into bite-sized chunks, but I also think that, you know, making sure that you have your work ethic can match what you're attempting to do. It's very easy to be like a kid in a candy store and you just kind of go, oh, I'll do that, I'll do that, I'll do that. So being able to narrow that focus and ensure that you understand what your niche is or, or what your real core is for your business is super important. Yeah, and I think this is where the why comes into it because if you're exhausted and there are days and I'm the first one to tell you about this and, you know, I really try to be as authentic as possible and honest about my journey because I don't feel like we're doing each ourselves or each other justice if we're faking what we're doing or faking how easy it is or, you know, laying on, you know, laying on a Lamborghini that's not yours and being like, oh, the heart, the, you know, do the work. That's not your car. Show us your piece of crap forward, please. Show us the real car that you're driving. Like that's the more interesting story, and I think it comes down to the curiosity of humans. But when we're in when we're in business, we need to have a driver that's bigger than us. So when you do want to quit and you want to give up, and when I say the stats that 97% of female-led startups are failing in the first five years, that's my why. I don't think that number is a, is a fair number. I don't think it's a number that's reflective of what women are able to do. But I think there is an element of the reason that we have that statistic and the reason that that's happening is because women, um, the stats show us that 85% of all household stuff are done by women as well. Cooking, cleaning, childcare, you name it, women are picking up the majority of the work. So you have to have a structured approach and know that where your time limitations are and how to use that time effectively because I think a lot of businesses – and a lot of particularly entrepreneurs are really good at being busy and not very good at being productive. So we're seeing a cultural shift in that kind of aspect of females doing 85% of the work in the household. I'm sure 10 years ago, it was probably 95%. Yeah. So it's good that it's moving. It's obviously needs to move at a much quicker pace than it currently is. So men out there, you got to get your act together. What was the biggest lesson you learned during those early days of entrepreneurship? I think it really was that being your own boss is amazing, but being your when you're your own boss, it's a real problem also. You're accountable to only you. And there's a real I, I really wildly swung between and it's just a polarity of who I am as a human, I think, more than anything, and shows really who I am, that I could fall into in the days of Foxtel, I could fall into um, a TV series of Foxtel very easily, or or these days Netflix. And or I could work for 20 hours and not have a snack. So it was really difficult to sort of get a structured environment. And when you're starting a business, it's very easy. And I think this comes down from the burnout aspect. And I'm, I'm not saying that 97% of women quit. I think 97% of women just go, I don't want to do this anymore. And there's the burnout and there's the struggle. So I had to really learn 
how to structure my day and that became vital to business survival but also human survival because we do this for ourselves to have a life as well to not work nine to five for somebody else you know we're always seeking for those boundaries and i think that's what you when a lot of people go into entrepreneurship they don't know where the boundaries are so they they don't know what happens if you work 90 hours a week over a long period of time sure it's fine for one or two weeks your body body kind of handles that but then there's a long-term effects that we don't get. So that discipline required at the beginning is so important. And I suppose with that, it's, it's like any performer, right? So being an entrepreneur is high performance. So it's no different mm-hmm. to being an athlete or a singer or a dancer or an artist and that they have a coach most of the time. And so how important is that coach to, or having mentors or coaches to an entrepreneur when they first start up rather than worrying about it later on? Oh, absolutely paramount, but no startup can see that yet. So it's generally around the the 18 months period that we really start to see that's where people start raising their hands going, I need help. Because a lot of people go, I, I can do this. And because for a lot of the part they can, and they can make it start working, but there's a big difference between making $50,000 and $200,000 a year. And that's where you start to really get people in that are doing, wanting to, that are coaches. And that's, why they're so important because we can come in and go we've made all the mistakes guys we've done it all <laughs> you need to be really really mindful of the mistakes that we've made we've seen the the fallout we know the statistics we've also been in the environment longer and have a really thorough understanding i don't think that anyone in business should not have a business coach or have a mentor out there that's really guiding them and that doesn't mean that you have to go and throw twenty thousand dollars at getting a coach today you need to get mentors that you like and that you understand. And you don't physically have to be in the same room. We've all heard the famous Jim Ring quote of you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. Physically, you don't have to be with those people. Gary Vaynerchuk was my first mentor. I've since met him and had, you know, and gotten along with him really well. And that was really beautiful to kind of meet someone that, that shaped how I thought and sculpted my thoughts and my work ethic for a long time, but as the longer I've been in the game, the more that I can see what he's saying makes a lot of sense. But I think he's missing crucial elements of that self-care and that he was he, he will happily promote working a 90-hour week and you've got to do this and this is everything. But I think he's forgetting this burnout structure. He's also a male, so then, you know, coming from the female perspective of 85% of the stuff, he's got a wife at home that's doing the cooking, the cleaning, the childcare, the two kids this is you know the missing parts so and we should outgrow our mentors at some point and we should outgrow our business coaches eventually hopefully your business coach gets you to a point of okay you've done more than they have which is ideally what we want to see happen for you so you've utilized the lessons you've learned in your success to become a thought leader in positioning tell us about your amazon best-selling book position me Yeah, so I had no interest in writing a book, be the first one to tell everyone that. Uh, Again, being honest about my journey, um, I did a a course on how to uh, deliver a really good keynote and an extra day was tacked on at the end of how to write a book. Okay, that sounds fine. Sat in on the day. By the end of the day, I had 5,000 words out of a 55,000 word book and I had a structure and it was, again, the step-by-step process of how to do it and that putting it into bite-sized chunks, how to eat an elephant one bite at a time. So it was a really interesting sort of start 
And because of my nature of just who I am as a person, I set a bit of a challenge on myself to kind of get it done within the next two months and sat down and really hacked at it. So I've, uh, Amazon, we went bestseller in 26 minutes, which was pretty ridiculous and felt, um, very surreal. And the numbers that we were seeing of people buying was incredible. And a lot of that's to do with a podcast and a lot of that's to do with just having a really, really great network around me. I really, you know, have worked very hard to build a really good community of people and a really good network around me and having amazing people who also believed in what I was doing. So, um, pretty incredible seeing it kind of knock incredible books off and we maintain that for over a week which is pretty amazing it's very hard to do that for a long period of time without having big publishing behind you and it's really is was designed and exists to give a bit of a sneak peek behind the scenes but the lessons that I learned before my entrepreneurial life that helped shape who I was as a person but more importantly who I was going to become as an entrepreneur and it also then gives the top 10 tips of what you need to know uh, to make to position yourself as the go-to expert in your industry. It's really important because a lot of people, it's easy to kind of fit into society and just go along with the mainstream, but being able to realize that you all have your own talents and that mm. you all have something to give is extremely important. So understanding how you position yourself and who you are is a valuable asset. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is something that we don't do well as a collective of people. We know what we do, but proving that we're an expert is actually really hard to do. Um, And because it really feels quite inauthentic for other people. So this is why I'm a big believer in documenting your journey rather than um, documenting your journey rather than sort of creating posts for the sake of creating content. So it's easy to come up with ideas. However, the magic happens when you execute so what do you think are the biggest things that hold people back from taking a dream and making it become their reality i think the big thing is execution and just fat, just actually implementing i think people for the most part um have really good ideas and have really good intentions for achieving what they want to achieve but i think ultimately we just fail to execute and i think that's the difference between people who are successful in business is we just have this really um we know how to execute and we know how to do it in the right order. But I think that's the biggest difference. Podcasts are a medium that have become very popular in the way people consume their information through just its easeability to um, take it on the run or they can listen to it while they are doing chores or whether in a car or going to work. So why did you decide to establish and co-host the business experience and level up podcasts? So, yeah, I think the business experiment was started out of, uh, with Siobhan Joyce and myself, we had started the podcast after identifying there were a lot of people out there that didn't, um, were really buying into a lot of people buying snake oil. And I just felt there's a lot of misinformation out there. It really culminated in a moment. I was in Perth for the Raw Artist Awards and I was laying on the beach and I was I was chatting to Chev on the phone and we were just having a bit of a, you know, a debrief of our days. And I opened my phone to get tagged in a post that was top 10 ways to succeed in business tomorrow. It was by a fairly common pop culture magazine. Um, Here on online magazine, I opened the article up thinking, great, this is going to be tips and tricks and tools that I can implement in my business. And the first piece of advice was eat an apple. (laughs) And I got so angry and I rang Chef back and I went, we've got to do something about this because... 
even after only three or four months, I could see this was a problem. I could see that the misinformation and the the people, were, you know, I could see other entrepreneurs putting their time and their effort and their energy into reading this article and taking that as gold. No, that's not helpful when you're running your business. The argument they were trying to make was eating an apple is going to really set your day right and the antioxidants you'll get, there's 60 of them. I was like, this is a nutrition article. This is not how to succeed in business. Mm-hmm. So... I said to Chef, let's start a business, let's start a podcast, let's start a, let's get out what we know to be true for other people because we were, both of us were really in the sort of first six to 12 months of what we were doing and let's do an experiment to see if we can get our businesses to work by following our own advice. And we also did experiments through the podcast. We did, you know, little um, little experiments and we took the pop culture articles and we did them and saw if they actually worked or not. So uh, the business experiment really grew very rapidly. We were not expecting to have the response. We sort of made a joke on the first podcast about it'd be great if our parents listened and maybe another hundred people. But before the year was out, we were talking about a reach of like four or five million people. Um, and through socials and through through listeners, and it would just, I grew so quickly, so rapidly, so fast. But the difference between what we were doing to other people was we were adding something new to a conversation, which was about authentic authenticity and being honest about things. Again, not posing posing in front of the Maserati. Show us your Ford. Show us what you're actually <laughs> driving. Um, and that became a real building block for the rest of my career. But also, you know, there's a reason podcasts are successful now. We're seeing such a huge rise of it with things like Audible, um, with books being 10 or $11 and getting, you know, authors to read their own books is really, really interesting. And then Blinkist came in and changed the game again and went, we'll do every book but in 20 minutes and give you the bullet points. I think that's a really, really powerful tool um, to have at your disposal. And it's a really nice way for you to create thought leadership if you are someone who wants to do um, podcasting, you have to have something unique you're adding to a conversation. But I think more importantly, you have to have something different that you're adding because there's so many other podcasts that are out there. And I don't think people do them well is the other thing. Mm. So people are becoming more empowered to speak up about mental health, burnout, workplace wellness. Like many entrepreneurs, you've put in the 80 to 90 hour work weeks. What have you discovered that helps you know you've become more efficient and effective as an entrepreneur to ensure that you aren't falling into that trap. Yeah. So I certainly have had my own struggles with, you know, burnout and anxiety and stress. And this is just part and parcel. We have to learn how to, to navigate this. What I learned, the biggest lesson that I can give anyone is when we talk about a 16 or 18 hour workday, which is what entrepreneurs will report to do. What you have to understand is that exercising and cooking nutritious meals and spending time with friends and family that's actually part of your work day now if you are working for yourself that's your business and you are your business so it's not selfish to have time out it's not selfish to go for a run every morning it's not selfish to have water before you have a coffee every day it's actually it's mandatory you need to be taking care of yourself and I think we are seeing a big shift and a big rise in this because we see so many other people burn out and when you see entrepreneurs burning out, it's it's actually heartbreaking because they can't recognize the forest from the trees at that point that is feeling a bit tired or a bit run down. And it's so gradual that it becomes a real problem. Yeah, it's you don't have triggers, right? So the, 
as you say, there's that gradual fatigue, your body adapts to it. Um, it's very clever, the body. And before you know it, you've, you're down at a pretty low level. You don't really recognize yeah. it until you go on holiday or, or you have a day off and then your body yeah. goes, you know what? I like this recovery stuff. It's important. You need it. So I'm going to punish you a bit more and you're going to get sick and we're going to hold you down for a while until you, until you learn that you've got to recover. So that, that real importance of planning ahead and going, okay, well, I need to make sure that I've got exercise. I need to make sure that I'm eating well. I need to ensure that I'm having a break at least one day a week and yeah. that I've got a planned holiday, not just once a year, but there's something in between. So you are getting that opportunity to recharge the batteries and, and be able to perform every day because that's the key, right? If you're not performing, then your business is going to start to whittle away. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, it's so, uh, they're so hand in hand and people don't realize this and you are your own business and eventually you have to get to the point where you are removing yourself from the day-to-day operation stuff. But for the first couple of years, you're going to be a necessity to be part of that. And we have to take care of ourselves and we have to take care of our mental health and we have to take care of, you know, our immune system. This is a real thing. And it's really easy in the first couple of years to forget to eat, to forget to have water. We, we love what we do. It's it's an addiction and I get it and you have to be addicted to it or no one would do this. This is crazy. Why would you want to willingly put yourself through, you know, up to 100 hour work weeks and not sleeping and not eating properly and not seeing your friends and family? It's exhausting and beautiful in all in one. So recently you took on the Andy Frisella 75 hard which is a 75 day challenge. What is it all about? And uh, were you successful? Andy is a beautiful human, but I wanted to kill him <laughs> in every way during this challenge. So I basically got an email saying, do you want to give this challenge a go And to, for entrepreneurs? And it's, let me be clear, it sounds like a physical challenge, but everything about this is 100% mental and about 100% consistency. And I am great at challenges. I'm in, let's go, because I really love structure and I've had to learn to love structure because I'm not great at it, but I had to get a lot better at it. So the 75 challenge was 75 days, no breaks, whatever. If If you fail the challenge on one day, you go back to day one. And it doesn't sound hard until I tell you the step by steps and you're like, I can do that. You can do it for the first 10 days, fine by day 23 which is where I made a mistake because I poorly planned my day so it is you have to drink four liters of water a day that's the first one but that is a nuisance if you forget you have to then scull a lot of water but you get there Uh, number two is you have to read 10 pages of a personal development self-development book not business book but personal development I change this out for 20 minutes of audio. I'm not great with sitting down with books, so I knew that I was going to have to do audio. The next one was follow a diet, any diet, whatever diet you wanted to do. Um, I opted for a low-carbohydrate diet. That's where I tend to kind of operate best for me. I know how I operate and too many carbs just make me sleepy and, you know, a little pudgy around the tummy. The next thing was you had to exercise uh, for 45 minutes outdoors every day. And the next one was you had to exercise 45 minutes indoors every day. So 90 minutes of exercise. And it didn't matter what you did. You could skip, you could hop, you could walk, you could do any of that. But you had to do outdoors and indoors at the same time. And so, you know, I broke it up, 45 minutes in the morning, 45 minutes at night. 
And you do this for 75 days. I got to day 23 before I poorly planned my day. Had had like, at the end of the day, I had like 1.2, maybe 1.3 litres of water and hadn't exercised at all and it was 9 o'clock. And I was like, I'm, I'm in a lot of trouble here. Didn't pick up an audio book. Didn't, you know, I think I ate popcorn during the day, which was definitely against my diet. And it was it was a lot harder than I gave it credit for. And so have you gone back to day one and started again? I have not yet. I emailed Andy and said, I love you, but I've, I really miss you so. And what I got, he, you know, it was this, this kind of this laughing track that I should have played at that point because I had gone in so confident. What this was was not a particularly difficult challenge. What it was was about changing your mindset and about changing your commitment to yourself. And I had just failed to foresee what I needed to do. The reason Andy Frisella is worth two, $300 million is because he does this kind of stuff regularly. And at the moment he's putting together what we're going to see, I've no doubt that there is an end game here of a book called 75 hard. Um, it is hard. And the re- but the hard to be extremely cliched is what makes it great. And, you know, just that 10 minutes every day and that 20 minutes of, of, reading every day really did add a lot of value to my life. I did learn things that I hadn't learned before. Um, the water made me feel really, really hydrated, but weirdly on point. Like I just, I was, I could think a lot clearer cutting carbohydrates. I know is good for me. And like, it's not that difficult to do if you break it up into, I need to do this at this time. And when I go out for breakfast, I need to know that I need to ask for no toast. I need to know. And it was just that breaking down of the breaking down, but 75 days of that was harder than I ever gave it credit for. But I think that's also what makes it beautiful. So I'm going to go back to it. Um, just, I know alcohol is the other one. I don't drink. So this wasn't a real issue for me, but no alcohol at all was the other thing. Um, it's a lot harder than I gave it credit for. And because it's just the one drink, right? It's just that I'll just have a couple of Skittles or a couple of M&Ms. Oh, okay, yeah, I will just have that um, glass of champagne. Oh, you know what? It's raining. I don't want to go outside and exercise. You got off. So transitioning from our first world problems mm. to more third world problems. And you're involved in as an impact partner for Thank You and also a board member for the Hope Project. Yeah. Can you enlighten the listeners what they both are and how they, and, and why you went into them? And then also how has that changed you as a person? So um, Thank You is a company that was started by um, a whole conglomerate of people, but the main sort of most people know Daniel Flynn and Daniel has started thank you after reading in an economics book at university that there are over 1.2 million kids per day that were going without clean water and he's like I got to do something about this so he created thank you which if you buy a bottle of water you're able to actually physically track um, where that you know the the profit from that goes back into third world communities um, and it it helps build water wells. They do um, sanitary items. They do like nappies, this sort of stuff where you can then donate these things back to third world countries. Um, 
I learned, I met Daniel. I really, I really liked Daniel. I loved his messaging. I love what he did, but more importantly, I loved the bigger vision that he had around. I'm going to do something that's going to help other people. That's not selfish and self-centered around business. Um, but also it's going to give back in a global, his why in there, in that point is so massive and so significant that his driver, like he talks about the why being everything. So I met Daniel, um, love what he did. And I was like, how can we collaborate? It was around the time that they launched their baby products. So the business experiment took on, um, a collaboration with them and we actually held the biggest baby thank you party that was seen. We had, um, two parties one in Perth uh, sorry one in Brisbane and one in one in Canberra Australia and we had you know four or five hundred people kind of turn up to these parties um where people could try the products out and you know we had all of thank you there and we did a couple of podcasts with Daniel and I think there's actually a most downloaded episode actually um where he get he got very real about how difficult it was being in business I love the thank you model um and that giving back model I think is so important um and uh, I sort of said to them at the end of it, like, how can we continue to work together? So one of the things I do is um, promote what they do, um, but also really believe, because I believe in what they do, I'm very happy to collaborate with them um, and just, you know, hopefully inspire some other people to, if you're looking at two bottles of water in the supermarket, to buy one, pick up the thank you bottle. It's actually giving back. You're not helping another CEO buy their third property. You're helping actually give water to, you know, a child out there and give water access to third world communities. The Hope Project is a little bit different. Um, the Hope Project was founded by Kate Seselja. It is about this culture of becoming awake. It is the culture of understanding a really around mental health um, and really understanding it was founded by a woman named Kate Seselja. Kate is a beautiful friend of mine. Um, know her so well that my spare room at my house is actually called Kate's room because she spends so much time in there just running. I think she has six children, so I get that. Just comes and sleeps over a fair bit. Um, so Kate uh, Kate started the Hope Project after struggling with a gambling addiction for about 26 years um, at the height of her sort of gambling addiction put through it was almost $30,000 in one day and decided at the end of the day that she needed to take her own life. Thankfully there was intervention and things happened there, but she was pregnant with her fifth child, um, a little girl and the little girl's name is Hope. So they went on to have another baby and, you know, Kate now works with people to help them live, you know, talking about breaking down the myths of addiction, but more importantly about, it's not about the addiction. Why did you become addicted to start with? So, Kate talks about waking people up and runs a program called Awake and um, is the global ambassador and the UN ambassador for goodwill and um, really works with people to make them the best version of themselves, really bringing that mental health component together and really bringing that, are you okay? Are you feeling all right in this situation? Is everything all right with you? So I think that's really, really kind of vitally important, especially in this day and age where it's so easy to fall into the vices of, you know, we check Instagram more than we check in with ourselves. Scary, isn't it? It is. It is really scary how many people have gotten themselves in trouble without realizing. So you're currently in a transition and in process of making a, a, a relatively big move in your career and life. So what's next for Jemima Ashley? <laughs> yeah, I'm um I'm heading to overseas actually. I'm heading over. I got picked up a working visa in Canada, so um my book Position Me has been turned into a TV show. 
So that's happening um, and I'll be relocating to kind of start that and get that filming. We're starting filming as of next month, so September, October. Sorry, um, August, September. I know my months, I promise. <laughs> August, September 2019, we're starting filming for that. So Position Me the TV show, that's happening. I did an awful lot of keynotes overseas last year and did a lot of speaking gigs and engagements there, which was amazing and absolutely phenomenal. Um, but the commute was uh, an issue. So, um, oh, yeah, I went for my working visa in Canada. That's been picked up. So we're going to be filming there. And um, just just different engagement, you know, really far more advanced entrepreneur community than, than we've seen in Australia. And I'm really looking forward to being part of that. But also just, you know, again, for Australians, because we are um, – our profile is growing abroad and also for um, – the Australian females out there who were wanting to do a little bit more. So not too many TV shows being hosted by Australian women at the moment, which is pretty cool. It's a great achievement. So I look forward to seeing how that prospers in the future. We all know smart people have great answers, but the best people ask great questions. When was the last time you did something for the first time? That is such a great question. Oh, I um, <clears throat> yes, I did do something brand new this week. I uh, took my three, uh, my niece and my two nephews, aged uh, nine and six, for two days. <laughs> so uh, unattended by another adult. I do not have children, and this was terrifying. <laughs> so gave that a go. <laughs> um, and kid, yeah, basically had my nieces and nephews for two days. That was uh, that was interesting to say the least and kind of terrifying if I'm honest I don't know how parents do it <laughs> so what is the one question that you would love to solve the one question I would love to solve um I'd love to be able to answer the question what are the you know 10 steps I need to do to make a hundred thousand dollars I'd love to have a really clear direction for, that would answer every single person's question and that would apply to everyone. I'm trying to work on that at the moment. That's not going very well. Oh, you'd be uh, you'd be rolling in it if you can figure that one out, I yeah, think. Yeah, I'm, try I'm trying to come up with the – it's really currently about 30 steps and it depends on who's asking. So I don't know if I'm going to get there, but I'm really hoping I'll be able to get that down a little bit. I love the challenge. So how do you know when you're in a peak state of mind? Biggest way for me to know I'm in a peak state of mind is I can um, generally I'm alone is the first one. Like I don't have distractions. I'm I'm you know I'm in a, a location where no one else is. Uh, that's paramount for me. I've definitely had coffee and I've had water because like it's really common that we just wake up have gl a glass of coffee and don't actually look at water until like 11 a.m. which is so vital because we haven't had water for about approximately eight to ten hours before um how I know is I lose time so it's a kind of when I know that I've done a really had a really solid innings is that I look down and I'm like oh it must be about 10 o'clock and it's you know one or one or two p.m. so how can people learn more about what you do and what would be the best way for people to connect with you um Instagram, Facebook, um, and the best way that you can find everything that you need to know about me and a lot a lot more than probably you even need to know about me um, is JemimaAshley.com. Excellent. So we'll put those links in the show notes. Thank you very much for sharing 
your, your courage, your wisdom, your belief and story with the Active CEO listeners. I've really enjoyed getting an understanding of how you went from being a profiler in the police force to how that took you into your journey as an entrepreneur. And a lot around that profiler is around what makes you successful as a person, as an entrepreneur or a CEO or a leader, and being able to understand and observe cues and the behaviors of people. You've, you're very open, you're very honest, and I love that about you, that authenticity really shines through. And I think people can take a lot from that because a lot of the time we do hide behind what we say and we're not actually always doing what we're portraying we are doing. So I think that's really important because we need to be genuine. If people want to connect with us, so people buy products or people buy services, they don't buy the actual products. It's through the people and it's who you are. And people want to know that you're just like them, but you've been able to achieve something just a little bit more extraordinary than what they have. And they want to buy into that. Um, we look forward to seeing how your journey goes as you take your book into a TV series and how your journey goes living on the other side of the world in the Americas. So all the best for your next journey. And thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. And that's like the nicest wrap up I've ever had. If you could just follow me around and repeat that, that would be great. This week's active CEO wellness tip is energy management. Most CEOs and leaders spend time focusing on managing their time rather than managing their energy. If you focus on managing time, you'll tend to create overload and over time you will run out of energy. You have to manage your energy and the productive downtime you have as it will allow you to maintain a higher threshold of performance over a longer period of time. So when you look at your schedule for each month, each week, each day, think about where you can schedule in your recovery time. Think about where you schedule in your, your major project time. Think about that time where you schedule your strategies and looking at the business. And you also, most importantly, to schedule how many meetings you have in a day, right? So have a look at that, but look at it from an energy sense and go, will I be able to deliver high performance at every single meeting there? Do I have enough time scheduled in to ensure that I have the energy to bring the magic? Do I have enough recovery time so I can perform absolute brilliance? Thank you for listening to a great conversation with Jemima Ashley, position of influence on the Active CEO podcast. Talent isn't enough. You have to continually go beyond, grow each day, and strive for a higher performance. Energy to Perform brings 25 years of experience working with people who wish to make the most of their talent. The basic fundamentals of high performance are exactly the same whether you're a dancer, artist, receptionist, lawyer, CEO, coach, or even an athlete. We use a series of performance diagnostics, analysis, and questioning strategies to determine what you require to take your influence and leadership to a whole new level. 
Learn more about breaking the CEO code and breaking the coach code by going to www.nrg2perform.com website. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. Join the Active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.